You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, God bless you. Good, good to be together as God's people. Now, you will know that last week we started our Advent Sermon Series, and so what we're doing is we, we are just looking again at the characters of and the places of uh, the birth story, the Christmas story, and we discover very quickly as we, as we examine again the story of the birth of Jesus that there are so many amazing journeys that take place in the story, both uh, physical, geographical journeys from, from this town to the next. And we think of all the characters and the physical journeys that they undertake in the Christmas story, but we also very quickly come to discover it's not just physical journeys we see. We see spiritual and emotional and personal journeys take place, journeys from, from doubt to, to trust, from unbelief to belief, from pain to healing. And so as we are looking at the story, we once again say to ourselves, we say, God, whatever the journey is that I need to be on this Christmas, I welcome it. I welcome it and I invite that. Your presence, your Holy Spirit into my life to take me on the journey that I need to be on. So you will remember that last week we looked at Mary and we spoke a little bit about uh, Nazareth, the town that she's from. Today we're going to look at Joseph. We're not going to spend so much uh, time about um, talking about the town that he was from, but we're going to focus on Joseph a little bit. Let me remind you very quickly, the Christmas story in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, we find the Christmas story, so just to remind us, we find the Christmas story in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, not in Mark. John tells the Christmas story, but John tells it in a very, uh, very Johannine way. John tells the Christmas story in a very different and very unique way. So Matthew and Luke really is where we find the Christmas story. And then just even more to remind you, if you look at Luke's gospel, you will come to discover that the Christmas story is written in Luke's gospel more from the perspective of Mary. Matthew tells the Christmas story more from the perspective of Joseph. So guess where our passage is from today? Matthew's gospel. Let's read the story of the birth of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Verse 18 to 25. And then I want to share with us just a few thoughts that uh, on the life of Joseph that I think could be meaningful for us today as we examine the story again and ask the question of ourselves the whole time whilst we are listening and reading and thinking, God, what... What's my journey that I need to be on? Okay, so this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother was engaged to Joseph before they were married, 
she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the child she carries was, carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Just so that you know, what it refers to here is the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 is what's quoted here now. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. Sorry, I have a cold. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph called him Jesus. Do you notice in, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, Mary called him Jesus, and in Matthew's gospel, Joseph called him Jesus. So we see the two different perspectives. Okay, so here we have the story of the birth of Jesus from more of Joseph's perspective. So a few thoughts for us today from this story. Okay, so the first thing we must just be aware of again and remind ourselves that Mary and Joseph were engaged. And in those days, uh, it was a formal binding relationship that they had. There would have been a formal engagement a process, ceremony, if you will, that took place. Uh, the families would have gotten together. A dowry would have been paid. The agreement was made. They are now, for all intents and purposes, uh, married. There was this formal understanding between them. They were engaged. That was the kind of relationship that these two were in, Mary and Joseph. Now, let me just so <coughs> show us on the map quickly. If we can just stick the map up there. Let's remind ourselves. So Mary was from Nazareth in the north of the country. And then what happened was, you'll remember from last week, the angel of God comes to us saying, Mary, uh, God's spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to have a child. Now, you remember also a part of the messenger of God's message to Mary was, and your cousin, Elizabeth, who was also old and couldn't have kids, she's also going to have a child. Remember John? And so what happened then was we know um, that Mary must have said, listen, I need somebody that can relate to what's happening to me. This is a crazy thing going on. And I need somebody to talk to, somebody that, that will understand what's going on with me. And so Mary at some stage traveled from Nazareth down to where Elizabeth lived, which is Ein Karim, which is a, a small village just outside, slightly to the west of Jerusalem. I've actually stayed in Jerusalem and walked to Ein Karim. Um, it's a couple of kilometers. Um, today, it's really more of a suburb of Jerusalem. And uh, that's where we have the whole bit about, you know, Mary's... Uh, uh, Magnificat and, and, and that beautiful part where she meets with her cousin Elizabeth. And um, so let me say this. So I think when we grow up and we think about when we merge 
too quickly, I think, the stories of Matthew and Luke, and we think about Mary and Joseph, we might have the impression that Mary and jo Joseph both lived in Nazareth, and they kind of grew up there, and they kind of lived there together. But I think when we look at the stories quite carefully, and most modern scholars will agree with us today, say that actually Joseph was not from Nazareth, but he was from Bethlehem. We can see this if we look, for example, in Matthew's gospel. You will come to discover that Nazareth only shows up much later, towards the end of chapter 2. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was already born and he was already, they'd already been to Egypt and back, and he was, Jesus was about two years old, that's the first time in Matthew's gospel we hear of Nazareth. Then if you look at Luke's gospel, you remember there was the census and families had to go and register in the father's hometown. And where did they go? Bethlehem. So modern scholars will say, listen, sorry, if we can just have the map again very quickly, uh, that uh, Joseph was in fact from Bethlehem, which is just kind of to the southeast of Jerusalem. It's about 10 kilometers, about a two, two and a half hour walk. So possibly here's what happened, right? We're guessing a little bit, but possibly what happened was uh, Mary traveled down from Nazareth down to see her cousin Elizabeth at Ein Karim, and somewhere along the line, Joseph probably, we think, made his way from Bethlehem and met up with Mary in Ein Karim, because there is this moment. Now, whether it happened in Nazareth or Bethlehem is not really too important, but it's just interesting to think how it would have played out. But there's this moment where the two of them meet up, and Mary says, listen, uh, Joseph, uh, you need to sit down. Uh, we need to talk. I have some news. We'll get to that. So let's just remind ourselves about Joseph very quickly. So Joseph is referred to as a carpenter. The word used for carpenter for Joseph is the word, and some of you will be aware of this already, is the word tecton. Now, it's important for us to understand that the, the full meaning of that word is really can be, underst can be understood as somebody kind of like a handyman that would work with wood. It's, it's not just a, a kind of carpenter woodworker. It would be in a broader sense. Um, somebody that worked with wood. And so maybe uh, he grew up in Bethlehem, uh, which means, by the way, house of bread. And so they would uh, farm wheat and barley. They'd mill it there, bake bread there. And so maybe Joseph's family was the carpenter family, and they would uh, work on manufacture or repair farming implements, perhaps, some furniture, perhaps. And so the word used for him is tecton, which just means a worker that works with his hands, that works with wood. There's another word called architecton. That's where we get our English word architect from. Now that is referred to an artisan, a master builder, a master of his field. I want you to note that that's not the word used for Joseph. He was just a good old Handyman. We see as we read scripture that when it refers to the tecton, and in Joseph's case, in some cases it's almost referred to in a negative sense. I remind you, go and look at Matthew 13 verse 35, where it is this, where it, uh, Jesus was teaching, and then people in the, in the crowd said, hang on a minute, isn't this um, the carpenter's son? 
And as I think about this, I, I just want to remind us again, here we see the beauty about God and God's love for each and every one of us, irrespective of our level of education, whether I'm a tecton or I'm an architecton. In the eyes of God, it doesn't matter. What matters is the willingness of my heart and my posture before Him. And I want to say to you again, if you sit this Christmas and you wonder about your validity around, you know, your, your training and education, or in Mary's case, what village you're from, it's just so beautiful to see that once again, how God uses in His plans and purposes the tectons, the unlikely characters of this world. And I'm just reminded again, and I want to remind you that there is space and room in God's plans and to be used by God for each and every one of us, irrespective of our status standing in society, or the level of our education. Do not go through life thinking, God cannot use you. I want you to also further notice about Joseph. He has no speaking lines. He says nothing in the Bible. He doesn't talk. He has no lines. We hardly ever read of him. Really, just in Matthew and Luke's gospel, not much more than that at all. He doesn't feature. Yet we know, looking at Mark's gospel, we know, you, you remember when, when Jesus was referred to as, isn't he a carpenter? So yet we know that Joseph must have loved Jesus and mentored him and nurtured him and passed on some of his, of, of, of his craft to Jesus. So again, Joseph for me becomes this example of this image of, you know, somebody who just quietly goes on, no speaking lines, behind the scenes, just gets on with it. And, and perhaps at the end of this year, as we stand here, I want to say to you that even if you feel like you've been, that you don't have a, kind of a spotlight job in God's kingdom or whatever it might be. But you're just quietly getting on with the business of standing at the door, shaking hands, welcoming, or, or standing there and you know, pouring milk and making coffee, and nobody really knows who you are or notices. You're just a friendly face making coffee or whatever it, it might be, or a Sunday school teacher, whatever behind-the-scenes job that you are doing. I want you to remember Joseph and just the value that he had in in God's eyes, and the crucial role that he played in Jesus' life. And I want to just commend you. I want to thank you for the thankless task that so many of you do behind the scenes. And Joseph's such a wonderful example of just getting on with it, serving God, even if nobody notices or nobody knows. We've got no speaking lines in this great play, as it were. I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to say yes to God. And if that's you, may God bless you. I notice about Joseph. Okay, so then, so then there, comes this, but there comes this point where the two of them meet. And Mary says, listen, Joseph, you need to sit down. We need to talk. Um, I've, got some, I've got some news for you. And she says, look, um, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, Joseph. It was the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so here's what we must understand. This is not a normal thing that's happening here. 
right? This is an unusual thing going on here. We must understand this situation. I want you to just imagine for a moment if you could. Imagine just for a moment if you were Joseph. You're engaged with somebody. Your fiance sits down, sits you down and says, listen, you know, I love you, but you know, you need to know I'm pregnant. And, and, you're just, and you know, listen, well, that's not me. And then your fiance says, look, but it's the Spirit of God. <coughs> Let's be honest now for a second with one another. You'd be going, yeah, right. <laughs> and so the thing I think we must recognize here is that this must have been a devastating moment for Joseph. Let's not kind of... Um, uh, 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 Wipe it all clean and kind of make this uh, all a clinical moment. Joseph just sat there with a big smile on his face. Oh, yes, Mary, that's wonderful. Let's, uh, let's have a party and praise God together. Isn't God great? I don't think we can do that because as we read the story, I don't think that's what happened because he thought, listen, how can I quietly get out of this situation? I think we must understand that, for that uh, Joseph in this moment must have had a whole range of emotions. Doubt. The Holy Spirit? Really? Anger even, questions, frustration, devastated on, on some level. And as I was preparing this and I read the story again, um, I want to share something with you. It reminded me of a pastoral situation that I had many years ago. Um, I really should write a book. I so, so there was this beautiful young couple that I married some time ago, and about six months after the wedding, now he'd been married before, had two children, his wife had passed away, I think it was a car accident, I think, and so he met this other lady, beautiful couple, and I married them, and it was a beautiful ceremony. About six months later, um, he comes to me, and, uh, and, and he's in my office, and he says, Paul, um, my wife's pregnant, and I'm just about to go, yay, you know, well done, yeah, good boy, you know, just excellent, this is good news, and I'm just about to kind of get all excited and celebrate, but I could see that there was no joy on his face, and so before I kind of, you know, put my foot in it and, and got all excited, he said, but Paul, I need to tell you that after my first wife and I had our second child, um, I had a vasectomy. So... It's not, it can't be my child. And so I was reminded of the story of Mary and Joseph. It's like, Paul's great, but it's not me. I've only been married for six months. Then, unbeknownst to him, his uh, wife also made an appointment to come and see me. She saw me, I think, the next day or later that day, whenever it was. And she goes like, listen, it's him. But there's, but there's nobody else. I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't believe me. I'm pregnant. I'm like, I, you know, I love him with everything, and I've been faithful to him, and he doesn't believe me. And so this whole situation, you can imagine. And so with this thing about just trust, and you could just see trust breaking down between them. He doesn't believe her. And I thought about Mary and Joseph. Anyway, the end of the story was um, uh, when the child was born, it was his child. The vasectomy just didn't work. <laughs> but just imagine the situation. And if you're a doctor, you will know that that happens, right? Uh, th that's not always foolproof. Anyway, so it was his child. But it took a long time for that trust to be rebuilt. 
I told him I was faithful, but he didn't believe me. And so I imagine a situation like this between Mary and Joseph. And so what we have in the story is I think somebody who's hurt, somebody who's devastated, somebody who's wrestling, who's got questions, somebody with doubt. And so I want to talk about doubt for a second. For we find doubt in the story. I find it most interesting that Matthew writes in such a way that he's very sure to include that Joseph was a righteous man. I think Matthew's making a point. He wants us to know that Joseph was righteous, yet he had doubts. You can be righteous and still have doubts. Maybe maybe you have friends that have said things to you along the lines of, hey, look, you know, I, I like the whole Christian thing and, and kind of what I hear about Jesus and, and just about living and loving and, and so on. I mean, I like it and, and I want to believe, but I, I just can't. I have doubts about so many things. For the virgin birth, for example, you know, I struggle with that. I struggle with, you know, with the divinity of Jesus. I, 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 I struggle with the resurrection. Maybe you... You have friends like that, and, or maybe that's you today. Um, well, what I want to say to you, or what you can say to your friends, or, or spouse, or children who, 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 who have these doubts, what you can say to them is, well, you're in good company. Because Joseph, Joseph himself became the first person to struggle with the virgin birth. You're in good company. We find doubts in the story. In fact, uh, I'm reminded that Martin Luther um, apparently once famously said that only madmen and criminals don't ever have any doubts. <laughs> I think what Matthew wants us to do in the story by writing the way that he did is I think he wants us to be confronted with and honest with ourselves about the, with the doubts that we might have in our own lives. You know, we have doubts about all kinds of things, things that we wrestle with and struggle with that don't always make sense to us. But I think more than that, he'll, I think he's also confronting us and asking us, how do we respond to, how do we treat family members or a spouse or children or friends or colleagues? How do we treat those in our lives who are struggling with doubts? How do we treat them? Is it one of, well, this and buddy, you're in trouble, or is it one of, patience and a message of it's okay to have doubts it's okay to struggle don't worry god won't be broken if you have a doubt you're not going to break him he can handle it it's okay <laughs> joseph was a righteous man matthew wants us to know and he struggled and he wrestled see joseph jo joseph's journey became a journey of from doubt to saying yes god i believe and so to pray for our friends and to pray for ourselves, maybe this is your journey. Say, God, I pray that you will take me on this journey from doubt to belief and trust. Think about um, the, the resurrection story. The, the disciples of Jesus wrestled with and struggled to hear this news at first. You remember that? Think about the divinity of Jesus. The apostle Paul struggled to believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he encountered him personally on the road to Damascus. you remember that? Most of our heroes of faith at some point wrestled with issues around doubt and their faith. Think about Abraham, Moses, and the list can go on and on. So I want to say to you today, it's okay. 
But may your prayer be, God, take me then on a journey from doubt to faith. Let's talk about the virgin birthing, seeing as we're talking about this for a second. Here's a thought or two. I want to remind you very quickly that I said to you last week that the writers write this for us in such a way not to give us a biology lesson, but to give us a theology lesson. They want us to know in including by saying the virgin birth, they want us to know and understand about the identity of Jesus. The nature of and character of Jesus. The mission of Jesus, who he is and why he came. The writers want us to understand, and it's wrapped up in the idea of the virgin birth, that this child, Jesus, will be like no other. Like no one else before. Fully God, fully human God with us, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, being with us. And because he is like no other, it puts him in a position to, as we read this morning, to save me from my sins. Because he is who he is. Virgin birth thought. Here's how I think about it. I'm going to answer with you. I don't fully understand the technical side of it. I don't know, but I believe it's true. I believe in the virgin birth. I don't know, maybe you're aware of this, that this is about nine years ago now. Nine years ago now, you doctors and scientists will know this. About nine years ago, scientists uh, unraveled, if you will, uh, understood human DNA to the point where, technically, they can clone human beings. This is about nine years ago. Technically, it's possible. We... We fertilize eggs in laboratories. Understood that DNA is kind of the, the software of human beings. And here's my thoughts on it. How is it then? I mean, if this is what we can do, surely it's nothing for the God and creator of the universe to provide the data, if you will, the information that will complete the fertilization of Mary's egg so that this child can be born who will be like no other who will save me from my sin. So I believe it, even though I don't fully understand it, I believe it because Matthew and Luke teaches it. I believe it because the early church believed it. I believe it because wrapped up in the idea of the virgin birth is, is conveyed to us something crucial about the identity, the nature, and the mission of Jesus. So I believe it. Okay. Let's see what happened next. Verse 18, 19. So this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. And just a note here, just a thought that comes to me that I want to share with you. For me here in Joseph, we have such a beautiful lesson, I think, on how to treat one another. Right? Here's somebody who was wounded, devastated, somebody who was hurt. But even in his hurt and pain, he wanted to make sure that Mary wasn't hurt. He wanted to uh, make sure, because he knew that he, this could really devastate her. She could, in fact, be stoned to death. 
And so even though despite his pain and hurt and devastation, he didn't want Mary to feel hurt and pain and devastation. He wanted to treat her in the right way. I think there's a lesson in there for us. That may we show mercy and compassion and love to even those who have wounded us. May we always, despite being in pain, treat one another with kindness and respect and love and dignity. To not want to make somebody hurt because I'm hurting. I think a wonderful example here from Joseph. Don't you think so? Okay. What happens next? As he was thinking about this, I need to get out of here, out of this situation. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, and then we have the whole story. Here's my last thought for today, then we're done. So the angel of God comes to him in a dream and gives him this incredible message of that ultimately and the realization of this dream that would end just really in changing the world, the message of Jesus Christ. God speaks to us in dreams sometimes. Now, I, I've, I've never had a dream like that, but I, uh, dreams and visions. But uh, I'll tell you one story quickly. I was uh, in my previous church. We had a big field and just a tiny little church, and I was walking up to the, uh, there was a gate at the top through this big field, and, and then as I walked and I locked the gate, and as I turned around and I looked at this field, just all of a sudden I just saw this building and this, this complex of buildings and halls and offices and a church building. And just I, I could like see it standing in the field there. And uh, that became God's dream to me, God's vision, if you will. And um, anyway, we built all of that. And today, that's standing there in that field for God's kingdom. And so here's what I want to say to us. Thinking about dreams in the, the broadest sense. We all have dreams, don't we, for our lives. You've got a dream for your life or what you want it to look like and what you want it to be. We all have dreams for our children and our children's lives. My question for you is, what dream do you have relating to the kingdom of God? What God kingdom dreams do you have? Do you have any? Or are all your dreams with love and respect? about your life and the life of your kids? What are your kingdom dreams? My prayer for us this Christmas is that God will begin to well up inside each and every one of his followers a dream for him and his kingdom. You remember, let's stick that thing up. You remember I showed you a couple of weeks ago with that line between the world as it is and the world as it should be, which Jesus describes as the kingdom of God. And remember, he prayed and he taught us to pray, to say, listen, pray like this. Pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. The world as it should be. Here's what I want to say to you. The gap between the world, sorry, let's leave that thing up. But the gap between the world, yeah, there we go. The, the gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be, the gap between that's the stuff of dreams. That in that gap is often where the real amazing journey happens. And so this Christmas I pray that God by His Holy Spirit, that He'll 
enable us to see the world as it is. And then the God will give us his dream so that I can play my role in closing the gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be. Because I firmly believe as we read the Christmas story to get a global understanding of the story of Christmas is to understand that we need to see the world as it is. And that the world as it is is not as it should be. And God wants us, his children, to pay attention to his Holy Spirit so that God's dreams will well up inside of us. I'll tell you a quick story, then I'm done. Maybe I told you the story before. I, I don't remember. So about 30 years ago now, when I was 20, I was 20 years old, and I was living in England at the time, and I was listening to a message of a pastor in a country in Africa. And he was telling, 30 years ago, telling the story about how there was this remote tribe in a remote village in a remote part of um, uh, West Africa that had this custom where the 10th child they would sacrifice to some god by throwing this child off a bridge into a river. And I remember as he was talking about this and I was listening to this thing, all of a sudden just this dream of God just started to well up inside of me. Thinking, well, maybe, see, that's the world as it is, but that's not the world as it should be. Maybe, maybe I can do something about that. Maybe I can, I can close that gap. And a dream started to well up inside of me. And I was thinking, well, I'm 20. What can I do? I have no money. I, you know, I can't do anything. But this dream wouldn't go away. So what I started doing, I started preaching in different churches. I had an architect friend who was studying architecture at Cambridge. I said to him, Chris, listen, we've got a chat. I said, I need you to, you know, I've got this idea. And so I wrote to this pastor, and I said, look, you know, I've got this idea. Can we, you know, can we help you in some way? And he said, yes, please. He said, but you need to come here because we need to speak to the chief of the village and all the rest of it. It's actually a much bigger thing. So I sold my computer to give me money towards buying a plane ticket. And this dream started welling up inside of me because, remember, I mean, I, I had no money. So, so I sell my computer, put it towards buying a plane ticket. I fly to this country. I meet with this chief. I said, listen, chief, we've got this plan. If we... If we can care for these children, would you allow us to have these kids? And it took a couple of days and, and some negotiations, but in the end he agreed. And he said, okay, but then it's got to be outside of the village, far away from the village, and you've got to sort it out. And, and, so, we, and so we had an, an agreement. And so what I did, I flew back, and then I started preaching in churches all over the place. My friend said, okay, well, let's design a home for these children and, and, and where parents, you know, kind of foster parents can live in a home. And so he designed and out of matchsticks where he made like this uh, model. And I went with this model in the back of my boot of my car from church to church preaching and showing people this model. Say, hey, listen, you know, here's this dream. We want to close the gap between what is and what should be. And people started giving. And so in the end, we raised money and we built this home for these children. Some years later, I went to go and see people off at the airport. A pastor friend of mine um, said, come with me to the airport. I went with him, he said, because I want to say goodbye to some people. And these people, in the end, turned out these people were leaving. They were going to be the house parents at this home that I'd never met. When we pay attention, God wants to well up in you dreams for his kingdom. 
this Christmas. What are your God dreams? Joseph had a choice. I'm divorcing her and I'm out of here. But he said, yes, God. And God took him on an amazing journey. What journey does God want to take you on? What dream does God want to well up inside of you to close the gap between what is and what should be? Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.